Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Oh, I'm so excited about this, guys. Um, I feel like this message made for this is a new chapter in a life message for me. Um, I can't wait for this year. I can't wait to see what God uh, does with this. Uh, The way that this is all unfolding in my spirit is very exciting. And we're going to spend the next six weeks or so walking through a number of things where you're going to discover your connection with God at a higher level. You're going to understand the gifts that he's given you. You're going to understand how you can allocate your time and how you can steward and manage your life at a higher level so that you can maximize and use your gifts for God and accomplish the most you could possibly accomplish in your life so that at the end of your days, you're satisfied. You know how many people live their lives and are unsatisfied? Doesn't matter how much they have, they can't find satisfaction because they don't actually know what they were made for. And the only way that you can truly know what you were made for is to deeply know the one that made you. And on this journey we're gonna walk through together We're going to know God at a higher level. I don't know how you were raised. I don't know how you grew up. I I had the best parents, in my opinion. Did they have flaws? Of course. Uh, But they were wonderful people. And I I was privileged to be born into one of the happiest times of their lives. Uh, We have two children. Uh, One of our children was born into a a time of our life that was very challenging because it was very close uh, to the death of our first daughter. The other child was born in a time that was very happy and thriving, and they both have different personalities, and they both have different strengths, uh, and they're both beautiful and wonderful in different ways, and it's similar with my siblings and and I and our family. Uh, I happen to have been born in the season where my parents had moved to San Diego, California, which you've never been. It's absolute paradise and they loved it they were just having so much fun and great things were going on in their lives they had been believing for a another baby for over 10 years my older brother and sister are 11 and 12 years older and so I was the California surprise and I came out and and was a little you know a green-eyed blonde-haired baby they took me outside one day and I turned dark brown and so it was just this brown baby with white hair and and they had a lot of fun with me my mom said that I never walked I literally one day I stood up and leaned forward and just sprinted Everywhere I went, she said I never walked one time, just ran everywhere. And I had a wonderful childhood. And my parents raised me in a level of belief in myself and in faith in God that shaped my life. My grandma called me pretty boy all my life until she passed and to convince me that I was at least better than average. Because, you know, grandmas, they'll lie to you. But my mom called me the golden boy. And she said that literally no matter what, I would always find my way back to my feet. It was like a cat with nine lives. There was just something. And she created in me this belief system that no matter what happened, I would find a way to work things out and overcome the obstacles. And it formed this belief system in my life that was, that was powerful. My, my father similarly invested in me confidence and belief and, and the words that he spoke over me, the, the identity that he gave me and the courage uh, to be daring and bold and go for things and dream and believe. It's the greatest privilege that 
that I have in my life. And in my time meeting with leaders and, and experts from many different fields, many different ethnic backgrounds and, and different demographics, what I've come to understand from communicating with them is the number one privilege anyone can have in life has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It has to do with the home environment and the wholeness of that environment that they grow up in. It's why marriage is so crucial and so special to God because he says he desires godly offspring and the more we as husbands and wives are whole and love each other and create an environment of wholeness, the more we prepare and equip our children to take on the world and accomplish all of the things that God has for them to accomplish. But the reality is a lot of people don't grow up like that. And you may not have grown up like that. You, you may have grown up, instead of being in a place where there was affirmation at every turn, uh, you may have grown up in, a, in an affirmation desert. You may have grown up in a place where you, you never heard anything positive said about you. In fact, it could have been the complete opposite. In my 40-some-odd years on the planet, I've met a number of people that are haunted by the curses spoken over them as a child. He'll never be good enough. You're stupid. We didn't want you. You were an accident. You'll never amount to anything. I can't tell you how many people I've met that to this day, decades later, are haunted by the curses because they didn't have the privilege of a wholesome, godly environment growing up. But here's the good news. Regardless of a deficit that your parents may or may not have had, you have a heavenly father whose words over you are more powerful than any other words ever spoken. And the words that God has spoken over you can completely eradicate and erase and circumnavigate any and every obstacle that the enemy has set up in your life to be a stumbling block to you to keep you from accomplishing the purpose that your maker designed you to fulfill. God's word is so powerful that it can overcome and overpower and erase the blessing of God overcomes the curse of man. Amen? And so as we jump into this journey, we want to jump into the journey of what your heavenly Father says about you. It's powerful. Uh, this, this phrase, made for this, comes from a, a part or a portion of time in my life when I was about 40 years of age. And I hit this place in my life where all of a sudden things began to really make sense. Uh, I, I was a, a businessman for a, a long season. And as a businessman, I always felt like there was something missing. And then I was a pastor for a long season. I, I had about a 15-year stint on either side doing one or the other. And, and, and as a pastor only and not being in the business world, I always felt like there was some part of me that was missing. And then at 40 years of age, I entered into a season where those two lives, my businessman life and my pastor life, collided together. And I began to see for the first time how God had used every single part of my childhood, my upbringing, my, my professional career, my competition career, everything interweaving together throughout uh, the course of my life. And all of a sudden, I found myself, whether I was in uh, the church on a stage or I was preparing a message for church or I was in a corporation and I'm coaching and training and, and developing talks for the business world. Interestingly enough, it's the same talk here that it is there, just in a different language. It's the same message 
And, and you'd, be, you'd be amazed, you that are business people, which is probably almost all of you, that if you would take the secrets and the principles of the scriptures and learn how to morph them into your everyday business speech, how powerful an environment that you could create because the word of God is not only powerful in King James English, it's powerful in Ron McKenzie English too. It's powerful in Vernon English. It's powerful in Tebra English. It's powerful in Jennifer English. It's powerful in every one of your English, even Sebastian English. It's powerful. Because it's not about a translation. It's about it becoming alive in your heart and coming out of your mouth. Mm, don't get me excited up in here. I begin to hear myself uttering this phrase. Because I was in two worlds at the same time. And it was, it was confusing me because it didn't matter if I was coming off of a stage at a church or coming off at a stage at a national conference. I began to say, oh my God, I was made for this. That's what I was made for. I'm communicating a message of life to people. No matter if they're in God's house or outside of God's house, guess what? They're all his kids, whether they know it or not whether they know it or not. And we as believers cannot be content to stay in our cute little Christian bubble and not love and try to reach the people that are outside of that bubble. And you won't reach them necessarily the same way. See, the, the, I mean, some of you didn't even know what Tiffany was saying. We sang a, a different song. It wasn't a new song. It was actually from the 80s. It was called 40, and it was written by a band called U2. But it wasn't actually written by them. It was written by King David. It's the 40th Psalm. Re rewritten into a rock and roll song in the 80s or 90s or whatever. And we're singing in a church today. Did you know that a hundred something years ago, religious people were not comfortable and freaked out because they took the organ out of the bar and they took the bar songs and put Christian lyrics to it and made church songs? We gotta be people that are open to reaching the world. And we can't reach them the same way we've always reached them. We've got to be lovers of God's people, whether they know they are or not. This series is going to be powerful. It's going to change your life. I said series. I didn't say your name. My computer's thinking I'm trying to give her instructions. There's an S on the end of that. Today starts with a question. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? If we're going to find the thing that you were made for so that you, because not everyone has come to that place yet of saying, oh my God, I was made for this. It's okay. I, I was 40 when I finally hit that place. I don't know where you are. You may be behind that or beyond that. But, but, but I think Moses was 80 when he found that place. So nobody in this room is, I don't, is, is disqualified from coming to a place of figuring out what you were made for in the season that you're in. God has plans for you. My dad is 82 years old. He wakes up every morning when his eyes open and he takes a breath and he realizes he's still here. He goes, he's not done with me yet. <laughs> Come on, if you're still here, he's not done with you yet. He's got plans for you. But we can't find what we were made for. God wouldn't make you to do something that he did not give you a passion to do. There are some people that have no passion, no desire to be married. Don't get married. Some people have no passion, no desire to have children. Don't have children. Yeah. 
You better have passion for your children. Do you know what the word passion means? Let's start here. Passion literally means suffering. Anyone who has children understand now. Very passionate. Children will cause you to suffer. Marriage will cause you to suffer. This woman of mine has suffered much for being married to me. To stay married to this man right here with all of his quirks and idiosyncrasies, she has had some suffering go on, right? The, the per, any goal, anything great you'll accomplish in life, whether it's in sport or academics or vocation or whatever, you won't accomplish anything great without suffering. Brandon couldn't have written his book without suffering. You can't build your business without suffering. You're going to go through stuff. If you're going to do anything good, it's the struggle that fortifies you for the fight so that you can accomplish and overcome and bring glory to God. Did you know that the word work and the word worship are interchangeable in the, in the Hebrew language, in God's language? Work and worship are the same. When you're at work, it's not separate from your worship. It is your worship. It's the work of your life. It's the worship of your life. You're using your gifts. Well, I'm, I'm just at a bank, Joel. Good. We need to borrow some money. Let's figure that out. <laughs> Come on, there's a work for you to do, and it's worship. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. And you being you and using your gifts and running your restaurant or running your business or managing your family or homeschooling your kids, if that's your work, that's your worship. And you do it for him and it brings you glory. When I shifted in my own competition career from a regional and national level of championship to winning world and global championships, it was because of that revelation this is my worship. I'm glorifying God. If some of you that are older, like myself and beyond, will remember a, a movie called Chariots of Fire. And it, the star, the center character in that movie, he was, uh, I believe, a, a, a Seventh-day Adventist. And he wasn't allowed to race or compete on Saturdays when the event was or pardon me, on Sundays when the event was. And so he was protesting and he said this. He said, but when I run, I can feel God's pleasure. God made him to run. Listen, he made you to run. And you have a race that only you can run. And he's given you specifically the passion to do it. I can't fully dive into this Topic of passion all the way yet. I'm going to have to carry this on into next week. But I want to really hone in on one specific place of passion. And that's this. Are you passionate about God? How passionate are you about your relationship with God? How passionate are you about your time with God? How much are you willing to suffer in your life to please God? How much are you willing to sacrifice in your life to be with God when there are so many other distractions? Netflix, Facebook, news, radio, podcast, movies, People, work, kids, wives, everything pulls you somewhere. And unless we develop a personal passion for God that we're willing to sacrifice and create moments of temporary 
separation and abstain from certain pleasures so that we can be in his presence, we'll never fully know him. And if you never fully know him, you can never fully know what you were made for. It's only in fully knowing him and fully understanding to the most best of your finite ability, the infinite God, that you'll be able to comprehend what he's designed you for in the season of life that you're in. And yes, those seasons will change. But in each season, he has a purpose for you. That's why there's still breath in your lungs. But here's what's most important to understand is that no matter where you are and how you would rate yourself, I mean, if you're honest and you would rate yourself, I'm a seven in my passion for God right now. Throughout the holidays, not many of us did much abstaining during the holidays. Uh, I, I went to a doctor visit uh, before Christmas and a doctor visit after Christmas, and there were multiple pounds that were different. <laughs> not much holy about the holidays when it came to my diet, right? We're getting back on track now. It's a new year. But listen, listen, God is passionate about you. Jesus suffered and died for you. His beard was ripped out. His back was torn open. He was beaten beyond recognition. He died for you. You are the prize of his passion. As scripture says that he looked forward and saw the hope of his suffering. And that would be that you would hear tell of what he went through and you would believe and you would fall in love with him and come into relationship with God. You're the prize of the suffering of Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier about these words of affirmation, God has filled an entire book full of words of affirmation for your life. I wanna read you just a few of those today. Uh, one that I read a couple weeks ago and these, some of these are just staples, absolute staples that you should memorize. Uh, David, and we'll dive into the story of David in just a moment. David said, I have hidden your word, God, in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the most important things you can do is memorize God's word. When Satan came to Jesus and tempted Jesus, and Jesus went through 40 days of intense uh, separation in the wilderness and temptation and fasting is a tough time for him. When he defeated the enemy, he defeated the enemy with the word of God that was memorized in his heart. Every single time he said, it is written, and he quoted a written declaration from God to circumnavigate the temptation of the devil. If you're going to defeat the devil in your life, you won't do it a way that's different than how Jesus led by example. You'll do it because you have the word hidden in your heart so that you won't sin against him. You'll overcome temptation and he'll lead you around the obstacles in your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you have this one memorized. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and not a future. You may be looking at something that looks like harm in your future. You may be looking at something in your future that looks hopeless, but that's not God's plan for you. You may be a part of his plan is for you to walk through that, but it's only for you to overcome that and come out on the other side into the hope and the future and the good plans that he has for you. God will get you through any and every season of life, every trial that life can throw your way, God will get you through them. Can I tell you that there are certain things in life that you'll never get over? But if you hold on to Jesus, you'll get through. You understand? 
There are times in life that are so painful, you'll never get over. But you'll get through. The most challenging times of my life, I began to ask the Lord, this is the wrong question to ask God when you're in trouble. Why is this happening to me? Why is never answered. Do you understand that? Why maybe will be answered when you get to heaven. But here on earth, what the Lord showed me is what do you want me to learn is the question we're to ask of God. Every test, every trial, every situation, what do you want me to learn? And for me, the Lord has said over and over and over again, I want you to learn how to be more like my son. I want you to be learn, learn how to be more like me, how to connect more in to who I am and reflect me in the earth. We go through things in life. He's got plans for us. He's going to get us through. The passage I just read to you was from the book of Jeremiah. When God trained Jeremiah, and consequently, I want to encourage you, if you have a desire to learn how to recognize and hear the voice of God for yourself, the number one thing you should do is read your Bible like crazy and memorize it. Because by memorizing and learning and reading what he has already said for over a 2,000 year period of time that was documented that we know is his word, it will help you recognize his voice when he begins to speak to you. But on top of that, what I learned in my early formative years in my 20s was that every single one of the prophets in the Old Testament, God personally trained them. And if you'll read the books of the prophets, he'll walk you through how he trained each prophet individually. And he'll teach you how to hear and to obey his voice in a powerful way. Look at how he trained Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5. He says this. He says, before I formed you in the womb. Somebody say formed. I knew you. Say knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Say set you apart. And I appointed you. Say appointed you. As a prophet to the nations. These are key, powerful words inside this verse. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. This, and I want you to understand, is an explanation of how God spoke to Jeremiah how he spoke over Jeremiah and how he explained to Jeremiah not just how he had formed him, but how he forms all of his children. God knew you before he formed you. God set you apart before you ever born. God appointed you to something specific in the earth. You would not be here if you did not have purpose in the earth. So in the same way that Jeremiah was foreknown and known, formed by God, made by God individually, set apart for something special, he was also appointed and called to do something. And there is something calling inside of you. Every single one of us has a calling of God inside of us that we cannot escape. See, this, this thing of being a vocational pastor and you, you that have known me for a long time know, it's the number one thing that I said for the first 25 years of my life I would never do. <laughs> the number one thing I did not want to do in my life was be a vocational pastor. I said it for 25, 26 years of my life. Jennifer would not have married me if I was going to be a pastor. God tricked her. <laughs> Just totally tricked her. When I met Jennifer, she was on a date with another dude who was going to be a pastor, and she broke up with him because he was going to be a pastor, plus he was weird. Anyway, <laughs> it's a story for another time. 
But he set us apart. And he's got a calling. And although I didn't plan on this, he made me for this. He made her for this. He made you for this. You have something in your life that your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your nature, your passions, your desires, everything about the makeup of who you are and how your whole life has been woven together, every part of it is connected in to what you were made for. And if you can walk this journey out, you can come to a place where you say, I was made for this. Oh, it's a place of power and a place of confidence. I love this verse. Ephesians 2, verse 8, one of the most important verses in the whole Bible that explains our salvation, says, For it is by grace that you have been saved. Grace is a gift. It's God's ability. It has nothing to do with your ability. It's God's ability that is endowed, his power endowed upon you. By his grace, you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not from yourself. You understand that? The faith that saves you isn't even your faith. It says it is a gift of God. Your salvation, about to mess somebody up, has nothing to do with you. Your salvation is about his power and even his faith that he put in you. It's not even your faith. It's not, you can't save yourself, you can't live good enough, you can't earn it, you can't follow enough rules, you can't build up your own personal, it's actually his faith that he put inside of you, and if he hadn't given you that portion of faith, you couldn't believe him in the first place. So chill out. Loosen up. Quit being so uptight. You'd be shocked that you can't mess this thing up as much as you think you can. Some of us live our lives thinking that, that we're more powerful than God's ability to save. Some of us grew up in religious environments where every single week we would get the hell scared out of us again. Because you probably messed up and lost your salvation by Wednesday. That's why we need Wednesday, church, so you can get saved again on Wednesday and you can make it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, get saved again on Saturday because you're such an absolute screw-up. We've got to get you saved at least twice a week. Come on, the scripture says that nothing can snatch you from his hand. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. He's got a hold of you. You don't have a hold of him, amen? So take a deep breath. Let's go on this journey. God wants you to have an adventure. He wants you to be on this roller coaster called life. Get some thrills. We got this little for Christmas. We got a little virtual reality system, and it's got a, a virtual reality roller coaster. And Jennifer and I are riding this fake roller coaster in our room, in our little media room, and, and we're literally watching this fake reality and listening to it, and, and we're screaming bloody murder. Ah, and it's not even real. And we're screaming, I fell down the other night. I fell down, I fell off the roller coaster. It's not even real. <laughs> we gotta relax. God's got things under control, watch this. For this faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by work so that no one can boast. Watch this, he doesn't want you to have anything to boast about in your salvation, watch. For we are God's handiwork. He made you. He's your maker, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, this is big, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there are good works for you to do. 
but they don't get you saved. There are good works for you to do, but they have nothing to do whether you make it to heaven or not. They do have to do with the rewards and such and whatnot and you fulfilling the calling and the plan and everything that he has for your life. But he made good works for you in advance so that once you did get saved, you could figure out what they were. So every part of your life that you're walking through, we need to be eyes open looking, Father, what's the good work today? What's the good work in this? Every night and every little moment that we step into, there's a new opportunity for good works in this next little moment. We never know what a moment you're going to step into in life. You never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to connect with. You never know where you're going to find yourself. So many times the things that we feel like are setbacks, a business that fails, a job that cancels, a, a marriage that ends, and we feel like life is over and God is only moving us to a next compartment of life so that we can step into a new place of good work that he prepared for us before he even formed us. He planned good works for you before he even made you. Oh, this is good news. One of the great stories in the Bible is the story of David. And I want to, as we walk through this journey over the next six weeks, I want to walk through a number of different compartments of David's life. But today I want to talk about his childhood. Uh, when we think of David, you might think of him as a great king, a great warrior. You may think of him as a musician, as a worshiper. Uh, you may think of him as, uh, as, a, as a shepherd boy. Uh, he killed a lion, a bear, a giant, oh my. I, I mean, he, there's so many parts, such a, such a fantastic story, the story of David. But there's actually a part of the story of David that's not even in the Bible. There's, there are components of the story of David that are alluded to in the Bible. They're, they're, they're mentioned or insinuated in the Bible, but they're not colored in in the Bible because they weren't necessarily crucial for the, the storyline that God was trying to create. But they're captured and maintained uh, in Jewish tradition and how they would pass along. I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but the stories... Uh, the story, even the story of Jesus initially was not documented. It was all oral stories told. And finally, 30 years later, documented. The, 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 the journey that God had with mankind from Adam and Eve and all the way through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, none of that was documented. It was later documented by Moses when he had an encounter with God. And all of our history of creation was documented hundreds of years later and even thousand years later. We have documented history. It was oral traditions and stories that were passed on. And the Jewish culture is one of the greatest, uh, uh, greatest keepers of tradition and stories. They have uh, all these different writings, the uh, Midrash and, and uh, uh, all kinds of different Jewish writings where they hold all of these ancient stories and traditions. And one of the great stories that they tell that colors in part of the story of David is the story of his mother. His mother is never named in scripture, but according to Jewish tradition, her name is Nitzavet. And Nitzavet was a Jewish woman. She was a very godly woman. We know Jer uh, David's dad, his name was Jesse. According to the Jewish tradition, Jesse wasn't just uh, any regular guy. In the Jewish tradition, the story passed down for thousands of years. Jesse was actually the head of the Sanhedrin in Bethlehem. So he, he was not just a, he was the head of the, of the legal department, the Jewish law department of Bethlehem. So he was a prominent man, a prominent figure. And that's why when God was ready to pick a king, he came to a prominent family in that region. Jesse was the grandson of Boaz. And that was the lineage that not only David would come through, but it was the lineage that the Messiah would come through. So it was a specific 
selection there. But the story goes, according to tradition, that David was despised by his father and his brothers. And that is actually mentioned in scripture multiple times. There are mentions and you see illustrations of him being despised and being rejected by his brothers. As the traditional story goes, the reason that happens is because Jesse was under the false belief that his wife, Nitzavet, had been unfaithful. The brothers also believed that she had been unfaithful and that it wasn't actually Jesse's son. They believed, according to tradition, that David was not actually a son of Jesse. And that's why he was rejected by his brothers. He was constantly uh, treated harshly by his brothers. There are, uh, in the book of Psalms, he describes not being able to eat at the family table. He describes uh, being an outcast of his own family and being hated by his brothers in the, in the books of Psalms. Um, it's why they made him the shepherd, according to the Jewish. Jewish tradition, they were hoping that something horrible would happen to him because they believed he was an embarrassment to their family. David lived in an affirmation desert. David lived, according to tradition, in a world where the only, the only thing he had was his mother that knew the truth of who he really was and the true son that he was and the God that he formed a relationship by encountering on a personal basis. And the book of Psalms is, is David's written journal. It's his prayer journal where he documented his daily devotions with God and turned them into songs. But God chose the thing that was despised to step in and affirm and make the ruler of the nation. He sent Samuel to the house. Now here's a, a beautiful picture of the story. Samuel shows up and says, Jesse, meet me at this feast. I'm gonna do a sacrifice. I want you to bring all of your sons. Jesse doesn't invite David. Jesse doesn't consider David one of his sons. Samuel gets there, he's looking on the outside. God has already spoken affirmation over David. God has already affirmed David. David just doesn't know it yet because God had told Samuel, I'm going to pick someone that is a man after my own heart. I'm gonna pick someone that has a heart like me. And then when all these big, strong, tough, tall, good-looking brothers show up, God says, uh-uh, not him, not him, not him. You're looking at the outside, Samuel. I look at the inside. I'm looking at the heart. So Samuel says, aren't there any more kids? Jesse's like, eh. the little one. He's way off with the sheep. Samuel says, we won't move on until he gets here. Get him here. So they send a servant out to find him. This is David's big moment. He has enough wherewithal that, that according to the story in scripture, he goes home and takes a bath because he's been out with the sheep. He smelled like sheep. He comes home, he gets cleaned up. He goes and, and presents himself and God says, that's the one anoint him. And all of a sudden, the one who has lived in an, an affirmation desert is affirmed in front of all of those who reject him. He's anointed as the next king of Israel. They poured oil, completely covered him with oil uh, over his head, which represents the presence of God coming upon him. And that's when he went out in power. And that's when he began to be a warrior. And that's when he began to do incredible things in the power of God because God had affirmed him and poured his oil, his presence upon him and spoke over him the same way, watch, watch, the same way 
Jesus didn't do a single miraculous work until he was baptized in water. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. He's 30 years of age, has never done any miracle works. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God affirms Jesus. He speaks words directly over Jesus, fills him with his spirit. And then Jesus goes out led by the Holy Spirit and begins the most powerful ministry ever seen on the planet to this day. Nothing happens until God speaks. And no word of God will ever fail. No word of God will ever fail. Can I read to you from my journal what the Lord said to me about you? For over probably 25 years, I've been pursuing the voice of God. 17 years old, uh, I had just been arrested. I was in a bad place. And I remember looking across the table at my dad one morning. This guy's Bible open, cup of black coffee every morning, same thing. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm 17 and I'm seeing my life being flushed down the toilet. And I'm, I'm seeing my life and I'm going, I know I'm, I know I'm meant for more than this. I know I'm better than this. I'm better than all these things I'm doing to squander and waste my life and waste my talents and, and drown my sorrows and, and, and cover, medicate my pain. And I remember looking across the table at my dad for the first time in a long time. I remember saying, I want to be a godly man just like him. Oh, I was a horrible teenager. I was a great kid. <laughs> I was a horrible teenager. Listen, if you got horrible teenagers, there's hope. Be that praying mama. <laughs> if you'd have known me as a teenager... Oh my God. When I found out that one of the families in our church, I went to high school with this girl, and I'm like, oh dear Jesus, what does she know about me? What's she gonna tell the church? Oh, praise the Lord, the Lord hid it from her. Um, but the, listen, the Lord began something new in me, and I began to have real, tw 25 plus years ago, I began to have real conversations. Father, you have to speak to me. I wanna know you. I'm not doing a religious act I'm not checking boxes. If you're not going to talk to me, if you're not going to teach me, I'm not doing this. Has to be real or I'm not doing it. I begin to pray crazy prayers. Wake me up in the middle of the night, God, if you want to talk to me. Oh, don't pray that prayer. <laughs> if you like sleep, don't pray that prayer. And God began to wake me up three in the morning, three in the morning. And I'm like, come back later. Nope, time to talk. To this day, the Lord will wake me up. He wants to talk to me. Guess what? He wants to talk to you. The difference is if you'll make yourself available or not. The difference is if you'll believe or not, if you'll open yourself up to it or not. For 25 years, I've been cultivating a conversational relationship with God. And a number of years ago, I began a habit like David, like Jeremiah, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like, like so many of documenting what God was saying to me and then taking it and proving it against the word of God. The Bible says to test prophet, prophecy, to see if it's actually true. That word prophecy shouldn't be spooky. It, it should be normal because it means to communicate with God and then say what he says. That's all it means. If you can communicate with God and then say what he says, you can prophesy. And, and the scripture says in these last days that the sons and the daughters would prophesy. 
All of us have been given the ability. The Holy Spirit of God, if you've invited him in, will live inside of your life. You have an opportunity for divine communication with your maker. Jesus promised he would lead you and guide you into all truth. It's important that you understand. I don't have access to anything you don't have access to. I'm not more special than you just because I happen to be in vocational ministry. You're just as much a minister. You're just as much called. You're just as much designed by him. You're just as much made for an amazing purpose. We all just have different parts to play in the journey. And we all have the same access to the same heavenly father through faith in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. But we gotta believe. We gotta put the time in. We gotta develop the passion for it. We gotta be disciplined. That's what he said to me. This, this, this rocked my world. It's taken me a couple of weeks to digest it. I'm gonna read it to you, and then if you'd like it in written form, we can put it on the website or something. About this series, I've been praying about for the number of weeks, he said, lead my children to my love and convince them of my faithfulness. I will never fail them. I move heaven and earth for them routinely. I orchestrate the whole universe on their behalf. Nothing is beyond my ability, and no one can stand in the way of my love for my children. I have spoken over each and every one of them. I have both whispered and declared powerful destiny over all of my known and unknown children. My words linger in eternity, waiting for my children to hear them and believe. The declared words are the easiest to perceive as they are corporate and all-concerning. However... Inside of my declared ancient word, I have whispered to my children personal promises for them to identify and make their own. The power comes when they discover what I have whispered and begin to declare it. And to top it all off, I never stop whispering to my children. For those who learn to pursue the intimate embrace, I will whisper to them beautiful secrets, promises, and dreams that I prepared exclusively for them alone, exclusively for them alone. My word is eternal and endless, and it cannot be stopped. However, it can be compounded by their agreement and combusted into flames by their declaration and obedience. When my children breathe upon my word, it fans the flames of my spirit and stokes the embers of my passion. Any and all have access and opportunity. Many are called, but few are the chosen who hearken to that call. So my recorded Corporate word is my declaration eternal. Inside those promises are personal whispers for those who dare to draw close and make it personal. And if they declare my public whispers, I will initiate a deeper call to whisper personal promises prepared only for them. Agreement, declaration, and obedience are the combustible forces that awaken the fire creature of destiny. All who dare to embrace this will embark on a journey that will eternally change and challenge them. This is Zoe, which means God's version of life. Guys, there's a divine opportunity for you. It begins with entering into a relationship with God and knowing him through the word that he has declared and then identifying places in that scripture that the Holy Spirit awakens something inside of you and you say, that's my verse. That's my promise. I've told you over and over again that, that we're living right now. This church is a part of the promise that God gave to me decades ago. 
the verse that he gave to me and says, this is your verse. Isaiah 61 is my verse, is my life verse. And inside of that passage, those first few passages, he, he has now over the course of a couple decades shown me the whole course of how he wants to use and develop and create this church. And Oaks Church comes from Isaiah 61, the passage the Lord has had me in for decades that they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his glory and his splendor. He was speaking to me about you and I just didn't know it. So what, will we, what must we do? What must we do? We must create a habit of encounter in our personal lives. Encounter is the number one core value of Oaks Church. The number one most important thing about Oaks Church is that we help people learn to have encounters with God on a perpetual basis. You have to learn how to create a habit of encounter. I'm gonna give you four very practical things in your life. You must have a habit, and I'm gonna say this to you, something that was melded into my spirit a couple decades ago is this simple phrase, the most important things you do in life, you do daily. I kiss my kids every day, hug my wife every day. I tell them I love them every day. The most important things in life. Most of you eat daily. I hope you bathe daily. How daily is your relationship with God? How daily is your habit in God's word? Create a habit in God's word. It's as, it's as simple as this. On your phone or whatever, create a reminder, create an appointment. Join the Bible app or whatever. Start a reading plan. You start it today. Every single day, first thing you do, open your Bible. Open your Bible app. Put it, where you're, put it somewhere where it's daily, daily, daily. Well, how long? It doesn't matter. Make it daily. It will grow. Make it a daily habit and it will grow. But this is the rule for me. I, anytime I read my Bible... I, I, I read my Bible not to check a box. I'm not the type of person that goes on a plane and has someone else telling me what to read. That's just not me. But every day that I read my Bible, every day when I read my Bible, I read it until I get something. That's it. Okay, that's my word for the day. All right, I get that. Okay, I can put that in. Get something from it. That's it. Make it one goal. I got to get something from the word. I got I to gotta get something that I can chew on today. We meditate on the word. That's it. Number two, Create a habit in worship. Create a habit in worship. Put worship music on in your house. Put worship music on in your car. Create a habit in worship in your life where you're constantly in his word. You're constantly in worship. If you'll create those types of habits, you'll live in a lifestyle of encounter. And then once you're there, create a habit of documented prayer. What does that mean? Write down your prayers. All of them, not necessarily. Some of them. But certainly, write down everything you feel like your father is saying to you. Why? Because you only remember 10% of what you hear, statistically speaking. But if you'll write it down, your, your retention will go way through the roof. And what I can do now, guys, this journey that we've been on for this, for me, these last four or five years has been a wild journey. And every bit of it, I've documented my prayers. And I can go back, and before we launched this church, you better believe I went back and went through 18 months of my journey to make sure that I was following the voice of God, to make sure that I'd heard the voice of God, that there was no way I was missing God because I had documented my personal prayer journey. I've done it for, geez, seven, eight, 19 years I've done this. And I encourage you with all my heart, it'll be one of the greatest, richest habits you've ever done if you'll begin to document your conversations with God and you won't get lost. You won't get lost. 
Because you can always go back to what you know he said and start there and pick up again, amen? Lastly, create a habit of personal declaration. Create a habit of personal declaration that you're declaring. Remember he said in that, in that message that God spoke to me about you, that if you would take his word, get in agreement with it, obey it, and declare it, that it would combust into the powerful, unstoppable fire of God in your life. This year, 2020, this decade of 2020, it's a decade of God's word being alive and powerful in your mouth. This is a decade of prophecy. That's what this is. It's a decade of prophecy where God is begun, get, going to begin to train you and teach you how to hear his voice and declare what he's saying. And if you see and say what he says, you'll see it come to pass. Amen? Amen, amen. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the time that we have here as the family of God joined together, a part of your church. Each of us, not any of us on our own are the whole church. We're just a stone. We're just, we're just, just stones that you build together and it's only through our connection together with each other that we fulfill who we truly are as the church of Jesus Christ. None of us can fulfill who we truly are apart from each other. We need each other. So thank you for calling us together and fitting us together as your church. Lively stones, your word calls us. And Jesus, you are the cornerstone of this, this edifice, this building that you are creating called the church. Father, we thank you for aligning our hearts and our minds and our spirits, aligning our relationships and our friendships. In the name of Jesus. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.